How's everybody doing today? Yeah? Everybody doesn't sound very enthusiastic. Well, I'm pumped you guys are here. For those of you who don't know, my name's Ricky. I'm a pastor here at Impact Drayton. So I'm super thankful for you guys. I'm super thankful it's Sunday. So it's sunny outside. That's exciting, right? Because yesterday it was not sunny outside. Yesterday was very gloomy, and I don't like super gloomy days unless I just have nothing to do and can just stay at home all day. So if I can stay at home all day, it's usually better, right? Because what do you do on a super gloomy day when you can stay at home? Sleep. Sleep. Nothing. Just hang out, right? If you've got kids, the sleeping kind of comes to a little bit of an end because they don't like when other people sleep. But still, you can just stay at home, be lazy, hang out. So yesterday we went to the pumpkin farm, or I guess it's not called the pumpkin farm. Strawberry Hill is what it's called. And so we went there, and we took Ellie and Titus, and like they had like this uh, hayride that you can ride. If y'all didn't know, you get a free pumpkin on it. You get to feed a cow. Have you guys ever seen a cow's tongue? It's disgusting. <laughs> Literally disgusting. And so how they eat is they just put that tongue out, and it like wraps around your hand and gets this little piece of food out. Like it, it's gross. So... I remember we went there last year for the first time, and I didn't know you got to feed a cow. So, like, we got on the thing, and Ellie was on, like, 18 months, so she wasn't really feeling the cows, but she liked to look at them. And I put a piece of the, they call it cow candy in my hand. And so I stuck it out there, just expecting the cow to come up and, like, use his lips to take it from my hand like a dog does. But no, here comes this massive tongue, Richard Simmons-looking tongue, out of this cow's mouth. Not even exaggerating, because I do not exaggerate, but that tongue was this long. I was like, ew. And it seemed like, it probably didn't, but to me it seemed like it wrapped all around my hand and tongue went, then went like this and took it back out. And I was like, that's the grossest thing. Because it was like cold and hot at the same time. And it was just really like mushy. Like it was gross. It did not look like a normal tongue. So when I got on that ride, I expected the cow to do that. Has that ever happened to y'all? Like a cow just no. violate you? No? So you've never been violated by a cow? That's okay, I have. But it just comes and like takes it. What about like not a cow? Has that ever happened to you in your life when you're expecting one thing and then something else just comes and throws you completely off? <laughs> like you're expecting one thing to happen, then it's just something completely different. In 2014, I moved here from Cincinnati, and I got here, and I hated everything about this place. Didn't like anything. So I wanted to move to Texas, because I wanted to go to a seminary down there, which is a fancy name for a Bible school. And I was like, I'm going to move to Texas. So I started applying for jobs in Texas. And Sarah was like, you know Texas is like 115 degrees, right? I was like, I know I'm going to Texas, though. So we were going to Texas, and we were getting super excited about it, and we were applying for jobs, and applying for schools, and all this cool stuff, and then we ended up in Cincinnati. So like, I wanted to go to Texas, I was expecting to go to Texas, and then this other church calls me, and we end up in Cincinnati. So now we're in Cincinnati, and I'm like, I'm going to stay at this church for a long time. I got an awesome youth ministry that God's building up there. I get to speak in local schools. Like, this is awesome. This is really going good. I was like, I'll be here for a long time. They gave me a house. I was like, this is great. Then that didn't happen. God was like, I want you to plant a church. I was like, okay, God, where do you want me to plant a church? And he was like, Spartanburg, South Carolina. I was like, hold up, son. I thought we already had this conversation. I didn't like that place. 
And now I'm here, as you know, how the story ends. But it's like sometimes we have these plans and we know what we're going to do and we're moving forward in the plan. But then God throws a wrench in our plan. And something completely unexpected happens. Like a cow's tongue wrapping around your hand, right? So like you're expecting this awesome thing. You know what you want. You know what you want to do. And then out of nowhere comes this. Has that ever happened to you guys? Like you're moving forward in one direction. Then literally the next minute you're going left. You don't even know how it happened. You don't know why it happened, but that's what's occurring. How does it make you feel when that happens? Does it make you kind of feel like, oh man, I'm really uncomfortable right now. Like let's say you got a job and the job is going great and you think you're going to be there for a long time. And then the next day you walk in and you're not there anymore. Or let's say you are dating this awesome person. You're like, this is going to be great. It's going well. And then you walk in one day and you're not dating them anymore. Or you're expecting to stay in one house your whole life and then you're not in that house anymore. Or you're expecting to have your car forever and then you get hit by someone going 100 miles an hour and now you don't have a car anymore. <coughs> See, sometimes we make these plans and we're even taking steps in the plan. We're, we're moving forward with what we believe we're supposed to do in this plan. And then out of nowhere, we get sideswiped. Out of nowhere, our plan gets completely thrown off. It makes us feel powerless and out of control. See, but I think that's just life. See, as human beings, we try to plan and we try to say, this is what we're doing. Nothing's going to throw me from my plan. We're going to move forward with this plan. This is how it's going to play out. This is how it's going to happen. Many of you have planned where you're going to plan where you were going to college since you were four years old. Some of you planned what you were going to do as a career since you were four years old. Some of you have planned your wedding since you were four years old. With college, you might have it might have gone similar to what you expected. Probably, probably didn't go exactly how you expected. Your career is probably not going exactly how you expected. And your wedding will not go exactly how you expected. I promise you that will not happen. Your relationship, the husband, the wife you're going to marry, you think it's going to be this certain way. It's not going to be. But does it make it a bad thing when we take a new path into one that we had planned? Sometimes it's really hard, right? Sometimes it's really difficult when we have to veer and we take this new path that God has set us on. But a lot of the times we find out that the new path was far greater than the path we could have had. But we don't always let ourselves believe that. You guys ever been bitter? Come on, have y'all ever been bitter? Been like, yes, this is the plan. I'm going to do this. And then you're on this new path and you're so mad that you can't even see the goodness on that path. You're like, this path sucks. I found $5. This $5 should have been $10. Like, I got this job. This job sucks. It's nothing compared to what I could have had. I got this wife. This wife sucks compared to the wife I wanted. <laughs> I have this husband. This husband, he's not, he don't look like the guy on the squeegee can. But whatever. He doesn't look like he's supposed to look like. Maybe you got a boyfriend or girlfriend, and you're like, this is not what I was supposed to have way back here. This, this is completely different. And you let yourself be so bitter that you can't even take pleasure in the plan that you have. Has that ever happened? Do you guys just never 
find joy in what you have around you because you're so focused on what you could have had? Does that ever happen? It happens to me. I'm so focused on what I could have had that I forgot what I do have. I'm so focused on the fam and I forget about the feast. See, Nehemiah, holy discontent, this series that we are in, sometimes our holy discontent is not what we expected it to be. And that's completely contradictory to what I've been talking about for the last six weeks. Because we get this hunger and we get this desire and we get this passion, but sometimes the hunger is just to get us to a place where we see what God is really doing. See what I'm saying? Sometimes you have a hunger for a reason, but it's not the reason you expected. Sometimes your holy discontent isn't even to help the people you expected to help. Sometimes it's for a whole different group that you're going to help. See, what if God uses things to catch our attention? What if God uses our plans and the things that we're preparing and even our calling? Sometimes he uses those and we think we know what he's doing. But then at the last minute, he says you were supposed to do this. But look at this. I caught your attention with this, but I want to show you something greater. I want to show you something bigger. I want to show you what you're really doing when you think you're just putting bricks together for a wall. I want to show you what you're really doing when you're getting these people pumped up and you're starting to build this wall around this temple. I want to show you that there's far more than you're accomplishing than you ever thought when you begin with that hunger. See, we've gotten to this conclusion that passion, holy discontent, calling comes from this simple equation. Hunger plus desire plus passion equals our holy discontent. Equals our holy discontent. See, a holy discontent is what we are so ready to take on. What we know God is not okay with in the world and we want to see it changed. That's our holy discontent. Something that we are so tired of happening that we want to see God put his hand on. And we want to take the steps to see it completely transformed by his power. Our holy discontents. Sometimes our holy discontents aren't what we expected them to be when we started at hunger. And we get the passion and God completely turns it upside down. And then he has to sometimes restart the process. He has to sometimes revamp. And sometimes we have to sit down with God and tell God how angry we are that he changed the plan. See, that bitterness is not healthy. We have to replace that bitterness with an understanding of what God is actually doing. There's a dude in the Bible named Joseph. And I've told you guys this story before. But Joseph was one of the 12 sons of Israel. He was one of the sons of Jacob. And Jacob had a special love for this dude. He looked at him and he said, you're from my favorite wife, and that's not okay to have, but it's okay right now So in the Bible, so we'll talk about that later. But you're from my favorite wife. I love you. I have a special love for you. And he just gives him everything. He gives him this coat of many colors. And Joseph has these older brothers and one younger brother, and the older brothers start to take up a little bit of a problem with that. They're like, Dad, what the crap? You're giving the, one of the youngest all this stuff, and we're just over here herding the sheep. You give him a coat, and one day Joseph starts to have these dreams tells his brother the dreams and then the dreams basically say you guys are going to bow down to me the younger son tell, try telling that to one of your older siblings go, to, go home today and be like you're going to bow down to me son it's not going to end well but he tells them that and they start to get angry about that 
right? Because the dad's treating him nicer. Now he says that you're going to bow down to me. And you got to understand the culture. Back then, the older sons had the position. They had the power. And Joseph starts telling them this. And they start getting mad. And one day they're out herding sheep and doing all kinds of stuff. And Jacob says, hey, why don't you go check on your older brothers and make sure they're good? And the older brothers see him coming and they just get instantly mad. They're like, he's coming to check on us? We know, he don't know what he's doing. And one of the brothers, the crazy brother, is like, let's kill him. We got to kill him, right? Like, that's what we need to do. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. And then one of the brothers who's in the right mind is like, whoa. How about we just push him in this really big hole called a sister? How about we just push him in there? And they're like, oh, yeah, I guess that would work. Yeah, I guess, that would probably work. Let's just push him in the really big hole. So he gets up and they push him in the hole, and they're like, hey, what's up, guy? Are you going to let me out of this hole? And they're like, you stay down there. And then the sensible brother is off, I don't know, maybe relieving himself or something. And so here comes this band of gypsies called the Ishmaelites. And the brother who wanted to kill him earlier is like, okay, let's not kill him. I got a better idea. Let's sell him into slavery. Then we can make some money, and then we're not just with a dead brother. And the other guy's like, yeah, let's make some money. So they sell him into slavery, and Joseph gets sent on this whole path. Ends up in prison, ends up uh, with this, in this house where he's uh, basically the head servant, and the wife tries to get a little frisky with him, and he has to run away, and she spends a lie on him. And then he ends up in <coughs> prison for a little bit longer, and now he's in prison, and he's there forever, and then some dreams need interpreted. But in the long run, what happens is Joseph ends up leading Egypt. He's the second in command to Egypt. Okay, let's just break this down for a second. Joseph went from being one of the 12 tribes of Israel, chosen by God, Jacob, Israel, to be one of these tribes, loved by his father, in a good situation, had everything going for him, went out to check on his brothers one day, got pushed in a hole. He wasn't expecting that. And then the next thing he knows, he's sold into slavery. The next thing he knows, stuff's going good. He's becoming a head servant. Then he's in prison because someone told a lie on him. And now Joseph is in prison and he helps out one of the officials of Egypt. And they say they're going to remember him. They don't remember him. And then they finally remember him. And he comes and God blesses him again. And now he's second in command in Egypt. It's easy when we have the full picture of something, right? But when Joseph was in that hole, I'm sure he had some prayers to God. Be like, God, you going to get me out of this hole now? Yeah, you're going to get me out. I know you're going to get me out of here. And then God got him out of there. He probably wasn't expecting to be sold into slavery and we got out of the hole, right? That happens to us, too. We're expecting one thing. But what if sometimes the thing that we're expecting, God gives us, but he gives it in a different way than we're expecting? Does that blow your mind? What if you prayed for God to get you out of a hole and he got you out of the hole, but you ended up in a worse spot than you were in? How happy are you going to be with God at that point? How happy are you going to be with God after he's gotten you out of the hole and now you're in a worse situation? You're not going to be happy with God. You're going to be saying, God, what's up, man? You're supposed to be my protector. You were supposed to get me up out of this hole. And he's like, I got you out of the hole. And you're like, yeah. You got me into a worse situation. And you're looking at the situation and you're like, God, what, what's going on? I'm loving you. I'm doing what you've called me to do. I'm, I'm doing things for you. God, I'm loving people well. Why are you putting me in a worse situation than when I was in? Then stuff starts to get good. 
with the servant. And then you're like, oh, yeah, God, you're raising me up. You're giving me a position again. He becomes the head servants over the whole household. And you're like, okay, God, man, this is good. This is really good, God. You're doing what I expect you to do. Good job, God. Good job, God. This is what it's supposed to be like. And then someone tells a lie on you and you end up in prison. And I'm not talking about like, I'm not saying prison is nice here, but it's not what it was back then. Basically back then, people had a dirt floor, chained to the wall probably like this. Sometimes they change you upside down. So it's like, now he's there. Are you going to question God a little bit at that point when that plan's happening? Yeah, big time. You're going to be like, God, what's up, man? Let me put it in terms we can understand. That's like us being in Chicago in one of those high rises, right? Being up at the top. We got a nice apartment. We got a nice car. And then that's like going on a spiral of like, okay, now we're homeless. We got nothing. We're stuck. You can question God in that. That's okay. But what if God is preparing you for something with these valleys that you could have never accomplished if you hadn't been through the valleys? Think about Nehemiah for a second. He was in slavery in Babylon. He was a cupbearer to a king who could have killed him just for being sad. And then God tells him to leave it. Go build up this wall. God sends him to build up the wall. Stuff's going good. He's got opposition, but he's building up the wall. But the wall is being built. People are saying bad things about him. People are mocking him and ridiculing him. But Nehemiah keeps moving forward through prayer. And then God throws a really big wrench in his system. Turn your Bibles to Nehemiah 5. I forgot my Bible today. Well, I didn't forget it. It's just in the parking lot, and I don't want to go to the parking lot. I don't know if you guys know this, but the parking lot's really far away here. I don't feel like it. So I'm going to read from my phone. I'm going to be a heathen, so I apologize. So Nehemiah chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, There was a widespread outcry from the people and their wives against their Jewish countrymen. Some were saying, We are sons and our daughters are numerous. Let, let us get grain so that we can eat and live. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, vineyards, and homes to get grain during this famine. Still others were saying, we have borrowed money to pay the king's tax on our field and our vineyards. We and our children are just like our countrymen and their children. Yet we are subjecting our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters are already enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. I became extremely angry when I heard their outcry and these complaints. After seriously considering the matter, I accused the nobles and officials, saying to them, Each of you is, char is charging his countrymen interest. So I called a large assembly against them and said, We have done our best to buy back our Jewish countrymen who are sold to foreigners. But now you sell your own countrymen, and we have to buy them back. Says they remain silent. So in these verses, what's going on is Nehemiah had been constructing this wall, and we have already talked about how the wall represents the Jewish remnant, the people building up the people as they build up the wall. 
And they have all these vineyards, and these vineyards were given specifically to these Jewish people by God. It was their property. But they don't have any food. So there's some Jewish people there who do have some food, they have some grain, and they're giving it to them, but as they give it to them, they're taking pieces of their vineyards. And these people can't do anything about it because they have no money. And so they have to eventually start mortgaging their sons and daughters as slaves to them just so that they can eat and live. And so their sons and daughters can eat and live. Now, Nehemiah is probably standing there thinking, I just came here to build a wall. Now you're going to lay this stuff on me? Now you're going to lay this on me? What? What's going on here? Nehemiah was just supposed to build a wall. That's all God had called him to do. He had specifically showed him that I just need to go and build this wall to protect the temple. That's my job. You guys know how it is at work. You'd be like, that's not my job. Taylor used to work at Kroger. Someone pooped in the aisle one time. <laughs> Guess who had to clean it up? Taylor said, that's not my job. <laughs> Corey worked at Cracker Barrel. Someone made a mess in that bathroom. Corey said, I will not do that. I will give you my apron today. That's not my job. See, we are so focused on our one specific job, sometimes we don't see what else God is doing because we become so focused on one thing, we forget about the other movements of God. Sometimes we become so focused on what we thought was supposed to be happening that we forget about all the people around us. Right? Like, let's think about this. Let's take this into context. Sometimes we become so focused on ending racism, we forget about sex trafficking. Sometimes we begin so focused on kids, we forget about adults. Me, myself, sometimes I get so focused on impoverished people and people with problems that I forget that people who are not impoverished have problems too. I get so focused on this one thing that I forget about everything else. I become solely focused. My peripheral is broken. Is that what we should do? Sometimes we become so focused on this one job that we forget about all the other possibilities. Sometimes we become so focused on bitterness that we forget about the grace of God on the entire situation. The sovereignty, which sovereignty means God is working in it even though it's not what we thought God was doing. We become so focused on the bitterness we forget about the sovereignty of the situation. Does that happen to you? That happens to me a lot. I'm like, God, this is what I was doing. I saw the clear picture. I knew this was going to happen. And then you pull me back and stop me from accomplishing what I thought you were calling me to, to deal with this. That's how Nehemiah was feeling. He was supposed to be building a wall. And then these people come to him and start saying, they're, they're killing us. We don't have food. They're taking all of our land. They're our own people. And they're taking it from us. They're putting us into slavery so that they can rise themselves. They're supposed to be a family, but they're abusing the family. See, sometimes we're so focused on our holy discontent, but sometimes God stops us right in the middle and says, hey, we're going to finish that, but we need to focus right here for now. You can finish that. You can change the life of kids, but why don't you focus on their parents for a moment so you can change the life of all the kids? 
Continue to pour into the kids. But what if I were to give you this opportunity also? What if I were to let you sit, do this too? So that you can make such a bigger impact through the name of Jesus. What if you just didn't have one job? What if you just didn't have one specific calling that channeled all of your energy? What if your calling was just to love? And in loving, you had a bigger blast radius. And don't get me wrong, because this is not defeating what I've been saying for the whole time. God sees us. God has designed us for this purpose. We have one thing that we're amazing at. Sometimes it's more than one thing. But God gives us this one calling that we see, that we're set on, that we have such a passion for. But sometimes he wants our passion to turn into a fire. See, fire is really cool because once you, I don't know if you guys know this. But I, when I was 12 years old, I really enjoyed fire. Like unhealthy amount. <laughs> like I would light everything on fire. And like I was, just, and when I was twelve, I remember we had this pile of like brush all the time, and every day I'd go out there and light that thing on fire. One time I got so excited because we were—I just got some trash and throwing it in the fire to make it bigger. And I got a milk jug, and I got a stick. Put the milk jug on the stick, and I was like, "I'm gonna carry this fire." <laughs> I started walking around carrying that fire, and then the next thing I realized, I'm in extreme pain. Because the milk jug was melting, and this is where these scars come from right here. Because the milk jug was like molten lava dropping from it onto my arm. I don't know if you guys know this, but when you melt plastic, it becomes liquid. Congratulations, you are all smarter than 12-year-old me. So like, I loved fire. But one thing I realized really, really quickly is that fire spreads really, really quickly. And you can't put it out with a hose. And I made some pretty bad mistakes with that fire. It consumed large portions of my dad's garden. It's okay. It worked out. It wasn't what I planned. Right? But it worked out. But fire just consumes. I don't know if you guys have saw like fire fires, forest fires and stuff like that out in California. And you see these helicopters and they're just consuming entire portions. Fire can be a dangerous thing, but also when fire consumes, it also renews. Fire spreads. See, hunger plus desire plus passion equals fire. See, when we're maturing in all these areas, when we're seeing all of these areas, eventually it's not just becomes one sole focus that God has called us to. It becomes a whole area that God has called us to. And that passion turns into a fire. Fire consumes all things around us. What if you were so in love with Jesus that when he takes you on a swift right turn from what you thought you were supposed to be doing, you take it in stride? And you say, oh, I see God. I see what you're doing. You're preparing me. You're refining me. My fire's spreading. You want me to do something greater than what I thought I was going to do. You want me to do something bigger than I thought I was going to do. And when I say bigger, it doesn't always mean that it looks the way you thought it was supposed to look. But God's going to be glorified more through it. What if when he takes that veer, like Joseph, when he took that veer back into prison. If Joseph could have sat there in bitterness and said, God, I'm done. Like, I'm just going to die in this prison. 
Joseph didn't do that. He kept moving forward, and then he got to a position where he was second in Egypt. And it's so cool because in Nehemiah, we see these people are in a famine and they have no food. We see the same thing with Joseph. And Joseph is in Egypt and he has plenty of grain. And the whole area around him is literally dying. All of Israel is starving. They have no food. But there's somebody in Egypt who has a special love for Israel. Someone who's in charge and he gives them food. And he brings all of Israel to Egypt. And he gives them food so that they can live. God's chosen people. Prospering because one man went through a lot of crap to get to a position where he could save them through the name of God. Nehemiah's people, the Jewish people, are in a famine again. People are trying to take advantage of them, take everything they have, make money dishonestly, put people into slavery, kill them, murder them, whatever the case may be. And God has this one man who stands up. And says, I'm supposed to be building this wall, but this is more important right now. We can't kill people. We have to love these people. We can't charge them interest. We can't do what foreigners are doing to them, what we expect the world to do to them. We have to love them because they're the people that God has given us. And Nehemiah speaks with passion and fire. And the fire from building the wall starts to spread into these people. And Nehemiah starts to build them up. And all the nobles and everybody says, okay, we're done. We're going to erase their debt. We're going to build them up. We're going to build them back up. We're going to do it. And Nehemiah becomes a governor of the Jewish people from Persia. And Nehemiah said, Nehemiah gets like this large amount of food from Persia because he's a governor. He says, I don't want it. He says, my people are suffering. Let's give it to them. Whoa. Whoa. Isn't that cool? Nehemiah was so committed to the father that his fire was spreading. Even when he could have had more, he rejected it so that everybody could have more. So that everybody could have more. So that more people could be so that more people's lives can be transformed. Joseph could have sat in his bitterness. Nehemiah could have sat in his bitterness. They could have said, well, I was supposed to do this. I was supposed to, I can't, I can't, I not got time for you guys. I got to build this wall. You guys just suck it up. Somebody should do something about that. How many of us have done that? We're so focused on getting the work that we forget about the old people who are broke down on the side of the road who are not going to hurt us. I did that this week. I was so focused on getting somewhere. I saw this old man and old woman on the side of the road trying to change their tire. It was light outside. This was not a hurtful situation where I could have been harmed. And I just passed them up. What's wrong with me? I've been doing some serious praying about that this week. Because I was like, God, what, what am I doing? I'm going to forsake them because I got to meet with somebody? What's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with me. It's just that we get so focused on one thing, we forget about the fire. We become so focused on our passion that we forget that our passion can become fire. We forget that when we follow God's will, when we see people who need love, and we stop and love them, when we go on a veering instead of the straight path, that we're building people up. 
when we stop and look around and see that there's people who need help, and we stop and help them, and we stop and love them, we're transforming their lives through the power of Jesus. So we're building up more builders. We're building up more builders. We're building up more people for the missions here. Fire spreading. Fire is spreading. I want to see fire spread. I want to see bitterness defeated. Can I, can I ask a serious question? Raise your hand for this. I just want you guys to see. How many of you are bitter about something that's happened in your life that you still hold on to? Like for real, you can raise your hand. Like, yeah. All of us, basically. We all have some kind of bitterness inside of us. When's the last time we stopped, thought about that bitterness, thought what it was from, and looked what God has done with the original situation? Have you ever done that? And been like, oh man, God, look what you did. That's an easy way to defeat bitterness. That's like eating a cup full of sugar. Man, like, that's not bitter. The bitterness is changing. See, sometimes our plan is not God's plan. Think about God. He created all of us. And he was like, okay. They look good. They look good. I've created them my image. I've given them everything they need. They're going to do good. And then what do we do? We do really, 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 really bad. And then God's like, okay. I already knew this was going to happen. This was not my original purpose. I created these people perfect. Now they're imperfect because they're sinners. But... I'm going to veer. I'm going to make them perfect again through Jesus. I'm going to send a piece of myself through Jesus. Now, God is something that's called omniscient, so he already knew everything. But for the story and the purpose, understand what I'm saying. They didn't need to die. I didn't create them to die, but because of sin, they will die. So I will send somebody who will save them from dying. If God veers, we got to veer. If God stops and look, we got to stop and look. Maybe you're not what you always imagined. Maybe you're not a race car driver. You probably didn't have a shot in the beginning, but whatever. Maybe you're not CEO of a business. Maybe you're not a doctor. Maybe you're not a graphic designer. Maybe you're not a personal trainer like you always thought you were going to be. Maybe you're not owning your own franchise of Subway. Probably not a good business anyway. Let's say you don't own your own sandwich shop. You're not where you always thought you were going to be. It's okay. Because God is just fearing you. It's okay. God is still leading you. It's okay. You might be in the dump right now, but God's going to take you to the mountaintop. See, God is refining you and preparing you. But the coolest thing is, He's saving other people. Through your witness of Jesus Christ. How cool is that? It might seem like a garbage dump, but God is working in such a way that you've never imagined. You're going to look back on this season of the garbage dump at one point, and you're going to be like, okay, okay, that season sucked. And then someone's going to come up to you. Remember, remember you were in, in that one season you saw everything in your life was bad? You just kept loving people. That inspired me. That happened a couple weeks ago at a worship night Corey did. Corey was up there worshiping. He was killing it like always. Looking good. He was looking nice. Okay, He was wearing a suit. Looked like a good dude. All black. Had his hair slicked back. Had a pair of shades on. He was looking good. 
he was worshiping Jesus. Everything was going really, really well. And then he left. He was like, man, that was a good worship night. And then somebody came up to me a week later and was like, remember when you guys did that worship night? Corey's story inspired my kid to transform her life. And he was like, tell Corey that. And I told Corey, and Corey was like, what? He was like, I was just worried about it, you know? See, sometimes things that other people see isn't what we see. See, sometimes when we just stop and be content in the situation, be okay with the veering, when we look through our peripherals and not just at our sole focus, we realize that we're helping people even though we don't help, know we're helping people. See, there's a really famous guy, and he basically says, Nobody's, everybody in the world is not ever going to read the four Gospels out of the Bible. But they'll read the Gospel of your life. The way that you live your life shows Jesus. If you do things to God's glory, people are going to see Jesus. If when you get thrown off a little bit, you say, well, God must have a plan. It's okay not to believe that all the time. It's okay to sit down and talk to God about why he's doing it. But if you just smoothly veer, you're showing people Jesus. If you smoothly veer off your soul focus and see that there's fire that can be had over here, See that there's people who need to be loved over here, just like Joseph, just like Nehemiah, because Joseph could have been real bitter too. And he could have said, you guys sold me into slavery. You can die. You sold me into slavery? I'm not giving you food. I hope you and your whole family dies. Joseph could have been real bitter like that. But he said, no, let me love you. What you intended for evil, God has used for good for the saving of many lives. How many of you can say that? How many of you can say that when your bitterness has been so bad, when you've been taken off your plan? How many of you can say, man, look what God did. It's okay that you hurt me. I still love you. It's okay that you hurt me. I still love you. It's okay that you hurt me. You hurt me for a purpose. You may not see it. You may not even know you did. But God is working in that hurt far greater than he could have worked if I would have never been hurt. Your hurt matters. Your hurt is purposed. Now, I know that's hard to hear, right? It's really hard to hear. But when I was talking about that story, how I went back to Cincinnati earlier, the day after we got to Cincinnati, like literally, I think it's the day, not even before, we found out that Sarah's mom had cancer. And we got to be there for her. She lived with us for a period of time because we were closer to the hospital. And Sarah got to be there to love her as she slowly died. That sounds really bad, right? That sounds really awful that, we, that Sarah went through that, that I went through that. That sounds really bad. But no, we got to love her. Where if we wouldn't have been there, she wouldn't have been close enough to the hospital. She would have had to stay in the hospital. But she got to come to our home and be loved there. Sarah got to spend so much time with her. Sarah got to hold her hand. Sarah got to be there when she passed away. If we were in South Carolina, if we were in Texas, that would have never happened. If we were in Texas, that would have never happened. You might be in a situation where you're not where you think you want to be right now. You may not even understand why you're there. You may have thought you were going on this path and now God has bearded. And you might be downright angry with God. You might be so upset. You might be like, why am I a stupid accountant when I could be this? You might be, why am I working at a child care center when I could be this? Why am I working at Eaton third shift when I could be doing this? Why am I cutting dogs' toenails 
When I could be doing this? Why am I working at Target when I could be doing this? Why am I at Founders when I could be doing this? You're there? Because God wants you there? Because you're the perfect person for the situation to show the fire of Jesus Christ, to show people how much they're loved by the Lord and Savior. Just like we were there to love Sarah's mom who had loved us so well, who had done everything for us, we were there to love her. Because God changed our plan and made it his plan. You're right here for a reason. You might not even know why. Hagen, man, you might not even know why you're here today. You might not, you might just be here because Taylor invited you. And your name's Chase, right? Yeah, Chase. You might not know why the crap you're here. You might be like, this sucks. This is Sunday morning. I could be sleeping in, getting ready for football. Why am I here? Marie, you might not know why the crap you're here. I don't even know why you're here. I don't even know how you got here. You messaged me. And you ended up here. How cool is that, right? Janet, you might be, not even be like, okay, there's a lot of white people around here. Why am I here? <laughs> right? Like, be for, be for real. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Why are they here? They're from Miami. Miami to South Carolina? Come on. <laughs> Chesney, South Carolina. <laughs> Nobody goes to Chesney on purpose. <laughs> They're still wondering why they're here, but the cool thing is God is feeling it. But you might not know why you're here. I'll tell you why you're here. Because this is the best place for you to be. This might feel like a garbage dump for you right now. But God's got you here for a purpose so that you can reach the mountaintop or so that you can take others to the mountaintop. And the mountaintop is not where you receive his magical kingdom. The mountaintop is where you're so okay with yourself. The mountaintop is when you're so loved. The mountaintop is when you are so dedicated to the Lord that when you have to veer, it doesn't matter. Because the stress isn't destroying you. Your fire's just spreading. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus came, died for you. Because you have made mistakes. You failed. But Jesus loves you. You screwed up. You're not where you're expected to be. That's okay. Jesus loves you. And he loves your situation because he's using your situation to save many lives. You may not think you're worthy to be used, but you're being used. You may think that you're not capable of being used, but you're being used. You may not think you're capable of being loved by a family, but right here's your family and we love you. I promise you. I promise you, I'm not like a normal pastor. I promise you that right now. Because I deeply, deeply care for each of you. When you guys aren't here, I literally miss you. Like, it breaks my heart. I love you guys so much. I never expected to love you guys. Because I never expected to be here. I never expected to be here. I expected to be in Texas wearing a hat and cowboy boots. But now I'm here wearing those shoes. Where's my cowboy boots? And I'm here, and I love you guys. And I would not want anything else. I want to trade this for anything. I want to trade this for a job that pays $100,000 a year. I tried to do it. God said no. Because I need to be here. Because though it wasn't my plan, God's put a fire in that fire spreading. You guys feel the fire spreading? You guys feel your lives being transformed by Jesus?
Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe you don't even know the Lord. You're trying to figure out who am I? What is my purpose? I'm just so mad about my situation. Like I got so much bitterness. This situation sucks. I don't know why God has put me here. I don't know why I feel the way I do. I don't why I feel so uncertain. I thought I was going to do this, but now I'm doing this. I don't like it, God. What's up? Well, I want to tell you something. Jesus still loves you. He wants to walk with you, and he loves you. Let us walk with you. And you may be saying, I've never been loved in my entire life. I don't even think I'm lovable. Like this Jesus dude can't love me. I said it myself. And then the pastor looked at me and he says, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been, but I'll tell you where you're going. So Jesus loves you. He died for you on the cross so that your sins can be forgiven so that you can have a relationship with him. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to talk to you. If you need community, I want to talk to you. If you just need vision when you have none, I want to talk to you. If you just want to know why God's bearing, I want to walk with you. Bow your heads. Father God,